So I have developed a little bit of a reputation um, for being extremely candid, uh, I guess, in everything, but particularly on social media about, um, excuse my French, what a shit show my life became after having my son and trying to juggle my professional and family and personal responsibilities. So in my at times desperate reading and researching on how other women successfully navigated such a feat, I came across a lot of helpful tips and wisdom. And then I came across this... (laughs) other thing in um it was an article in real simple magazine it was published last year and it said that 68 percent of the women that they surveyed said their jobs rarely or never interfered with their personal lives (laughs) (laughs) to which my jaw dropped to the floor and i wondered who the was surveyed (laughs) and what industry do they work in so just yeah like let's see a show of hands how many of you um raise your hand if you can say that your work rarely or never interferes with your personal life i i want if if it's true like i bless you and we all want to talk to you afterwards (laughs) so no one raised their hand okay with this in mind, our next panel examines the highly ambiguous and hotly debated notion of work-life balance. What is that anyway? Is such a thing remotely possible to achieve? And how can we redefine that notion as well as practically put systems into place that encourage a better sense of balance for women in our industry? So to try and answer these questions, I have the great privilege of introducing my panelists. So in the green, we have Shelly Lindgren. She is the wine director and co-owner of SPQR and the A16 group of restaurants. Yum. Um, Deborah Parker Wong, who is also in the middle to Shelly's left. She is the global wine editor for Psalm Journal and the senior editor of Slow Wine Guide California. Directly to my left, we have Elveta Embry, sales representative and account manager. Clap, clap. Yeah, yeah. And on the far side, you're right in the amazing hat, rocking the perfect Euro style, Diana Snowden Sace, winemaker in California, Burgundy, and Southern France. 2018 will be Diana's 21st harvest. I bow down. So I have a few questions that I want to um, make sure to give them time to answer. And then if we have time at the end, we'll welcome other questions for the audience. All right. Let's do this. Okay. So the first question I wanted to bring up, and we thought like a lot about these and kind of the things that we wanted to cover. So the the first question was, given this vague notion of a work-life balance, how do you currently define that? And what advice do you wish that someone had given you about it when you first started? And anybody can jump in first. Here, I got it. Okay. I was just there. I was like, um, So I'm from Napa. I was born in the Queen of the Valley just behind us and grew up on vineyards and um, climbing trees. And I was a hopeless tomboy. I loved getting dirty. And I loved spending time out in the sun. And I went to UC Davis just sort of as a fluke because it felt like the right distance from home. And when I came home after freshman year, my dad was like, get a job. And here I was in Napa, and I got a a job as a vineyard sampler at Robert Mondavi Winery. And I loved it. It suited me perfectly. Uh, I declared my major in viticulture and enology, and I never looked back. And um, I was very focused, driven on my studies. And really, there wasn't 
much work-life balance. That was kind of all there was for me. And uh, I, I, by the time I graduated UC Davis, I had had four internships under my belt and went on and got more internships. And in the meantime, I met uh, Jeremy Sess, who's now my husband, and, and married him. And uh, when I say I married well, it's not in reference to the beautiful domain his family owns. It's by proof of him being here, of one of the five men <laughs> in the audience. So by the time I was 27, I was, um, I was making wine with Jeremy and his family. I had started taking over my family's, uh, my family's business as well. And um, I was utterly, I was, I was very uh, driven, focused. I had this example of feminists before me who paved the way. I never really asked if I deserved to be there or not. I frequently found myself the only woman in a cellar. And I really never even thought about it. I, I loved tugging hoses. I loved carrying buckets. Uh, I jumped on the forklift. I pressed the buttons on the press. And I never really asked for permission. And I was taken by surprise by my own uh, biological destiny and femininity when I had children. And I was utterly, utterly unprepared. I mean, here I had been very focused on one thing. And then all of a sudden, I had a priority uh, explosion and uh, a real crisis. And there's really, I can't <laughs> offer that much guidance other than to say that it was really hard. And, uh, I think that that's the one thing I would have liked to have heard, that when you ha suddenly find yourself as a mother, those first three years are just really hard. Whether you work, whether you don't, it's the same for the father. It's just really hard. And um, I think you there are a few things that you can put in place to make it easier, and we'll talk about that. But in terms of work-life balance, I mean, I am now uh, at the head of, of, I'm owner of the wineries, and there is no division. Uh, my life is my work. My work is my life. It never finishes. And uh, I have kind of scrappy techniques for getting it all done. <laughs> so, yeah. Some honesty about how hard it is, I think, is the first step. Yeah. I think I have a segue. I think I have a segue from what Diana said about um, my life is my work. Because right now, I have five jobs. I'm the definition of the gig economy. And that's by choice. I'm self-actualized. This is exactly what I want to be doing. Um, with regard to how I manage uh, having two kids and a full-time job, my children are young adults now. They're 23 and 19. So I'm working on hindsight. But my current definition of work-life balance is discipline because I do want to have a balanced life and that requires saying no and learning how to say no. And I've always worked very hard and I had to work hard to learn how to work smart. It took me a long time to learn how to manage to say no correctly and effectively. And this has come up a couple times already on the panel. Saying no is key, but you have to know when to say yes too. So there's this strategic balance. But um, I wanted to say that the hindsight that I, in hindsight, the advice I wish I had been given was to get as much education in under my belt before I started my family. And I did uh, manage to acquire the WSET diploma while my children were three and six months. Um, and that was a good combination. Uh, I, was not, um, I was studying and taking care of young children, and I had help. But now um, I'm putting two kids through college, and I have the time to get a master's degree, but I don't have the resources. So I wish I had gotten, not having a master's degree is holding me back. And that's something I wish I had done. So in hindsight, there you go. Hi, everyone. Um, <clears throat> it's a pleasure to be here. And I see so many 
beautiful faces, and I'm looking at like Haley shaking her baby, and remembering when mine were that young and being in, we're in a similar role, being in uh, wine directors and restaurants. I grew up um, west of the hills to our left from a single mom, five kids in her family. So I've always worked. That's what I know. It's what I love. It's what is part of that identity. I don't want to stereotype myself, but I learned so much from that opening talk that I'm it's like sinking into me right now. Um, so for me, I feel like, thank goodness for the people around me. Um, Debbie Zakaris is here. She's someone I worked with and taught me a lot. Um, but mostly I wanted, I've worked in restaurants for 30 plus years. But even before that, when I was a young girl, I was brought up at an age where I could be a feminist not knowing I was a feminist. I was like post-Gloria Steinem. So when in fourth grade, they're like, who wants to be the little drummer boy? And no boys raise their hand. I'm like, I do. I'll be the boy like with the drums up the aisle. And, um, you know, and like things like that where I was always like a can-do attitude. And I always carried that. And I feel very lucky because I do have siblings that also supported me. And now I have friends and I have a lot of women friends, a lot of friends that I... Actually, sometimes I don't even know how to ask for help because it's embarrassing. You're just like, how did I get myself in a weird situation? And I'm so responsible as a person and, and all these people, but sometimes we all need someone to talk to. And that's something I learned through this, um, through especially today's uh, climate and the HR crisis we have, which we kind of touched upon with uh, talking about wine, um, the winery, the wine workers who are women. But it's a real problem in the restaurant industry right now. It's something that we're talking, where I deal with, I feel like almost daily. And I am feeling very educated about it. And it's still a moving target. But not to go down that too much right now, but I just wanted just to follow up that. I, so I worked in 15 years in French fine dining. And um, I was really lucky because even though um, there was one place uh, that did not have women on the floor, and so it was a reservation in the day. It was Masa's, and Julian was the chef, and he's one of my mentors and most favorite people. So it's not a dish to him. It was just the sign of the times where it's like, oh, no, we don't have women on the floor. Well, within five years later, there was women on the floor. I just happened to be before that time. And then um, because with uh, Uber and Chantal, like two blocks away, this is pre.com, so there wasn't a lot of fine dining happening around. And... Um, I was one of the lucky few to be, uh, basically like a woman had left, so I replaced a woman. So I was like the woman on the floor has a captain, but because I started working at a very young age, I was decanting Burgundies and Bordeaux's, and and I, I took like, like the, you know, sometimes, eventually I found my Italian love, but um, it, at uh, Fleur Lis, Cornas was my thing. I was like, nobody knows about this, and now it's like, oh wait, Cornas is like huge, you know, and and, um, but you kind of, everybody has their own path in wine and their own path in tasting. And like Deborah was saying, it's about education. And a lot of that is, and I, I've sponsored almost, um, almost 40 sommeliers because I took such the long path in, in what I do, but I just kept going because everyone truly has their own path. So now I, I always made it um, a point where it's like, we're a team. I can't do everything on my own. And I've always tasted as a group. I promote education. I promote travel. Some people have stayed in Italy. And I'm like, please stay in Italy. Good for you. I'm just married and home with kids. You stay in Italy. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And we have to support um, all the people around us all the time because you're only as good as your team. But So 
now it's like 15 years we've owned, um, we, we opened our own restaurant. My husband is in the bars and we, I wouldn't have been able to open A16 without him. He's been very supportive, but he's also used to me working really hard and being independent and not asking for help and just being like, I got this. So I think that, um, you know, now I had my 15 years of fine dining and then my 15 years of owning. And now I'm like, what's the next 15? And I'm not, and I, and my loving, I love more than ever what I do right now. But as we get older, and it's an important thing to talk about, our experience should be heralded. It should be, um, so you know, we should be like saying, I can learn from you because I learned from so many great people. I don't want them to be forgotten. And I try to teach what they taught me to other people. And they don't, they don't know who um, Jackie Robert or like just like so many different chefs, Rene Vernon, who was a chef for the Kennedys and he lived in San Francisco. And like, you know, there's a lot of forgotten things in, in wine and food. And I think that our education and our history will help us be really great professionals and that we're only, we're, we're skimming the surface here now, but we have so much more ahead of us. The conversation is just getting started and there's gonna be a lot of cool more, a lot more cool events in the future that will be integrated and we'll just keep building. And I feel really good about this, this whole thing. So thank you, Stevie. Yeah. This is my on. Hello. Okay, it is on. It's the green light. Hi. Um, I guess one thing that I wish someone would have taught me was um, earlier was being single doesn't mean being always available. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am available. But I don't want to work 70 hours a week. Um, available, but not available. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm available my time. No, but, um, you know, I, when I started working in San Francisco, the expectation was to be out, and it was very clear, to be out three to four nights a week, you know. And, um, yeah, you're out drinking and eating at the best restaurants, whatever, but, you know, there's times that you just want to go home and be with your dog and, you know, watch, you know, some Netflix. And so that was one thing that I didn't grasp at first, until um, a coworker came to me, she's like, I don't care if you're single and you don't have kids, you don't have to go to everything. And I was like, okay. But it was such a relief because that was the expectation. The expectation, I believe, was, you know, they don't say it, but I think that they do think that because you don't have kids or because maybe, you know, you, you, you know you are, you're single, that you need to be out three or four nights a week. But that, that's where work-life balance comes in for me. And my singleness or, you know, my parenthood or whatever has nothing to do with my work life, you know, and I, that was one thing, you know, there was a, one time there was a 6 a.m. meeting called, you know, what if I did have kids, you know, what if they did have to get off to school that day, would I have been available for a 6 a.m. meeting, you know, um, and those are the things, that's one particular thing that I learned uh, that took me a lot longer to learn probably than it had to because I was in a dynamic, uh, aggressive sales role that was expectation, and I and I it took me a while for someone to pull me aside and say, set your boundaries, you know, um, you know, make your own work life balance, and and just kind of know where you are and where you want to go, and don't hold yourself to a higher, you know, standard of account, you know, like basically a higher expectation because maybe you don't have, you know, the kids' soccer practice tonight to get to, and that was one thing for me that that was really beneficial. It shouldn't really matter what you have going on at 6 a.m. Yeah. Does that? <laughs> <laughs> Does the 6 a.m. work for you? No? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so that, that was a really good segue. Thank you all. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
The next question that we that we came up with that we wanted to discuss was, tell us about a time when you set boundaries or managed expectations and that worked for you, or tell us about a time when you failed to set appropriate boundaries or perhaps were confronted with unrealistic expectations. What did that look like? Be going in order? Okay. (laughs) This question I struggled (laughs) with myself because I'm in the very fortunate position to be in charge of my own time. But I realized that oftentimes uh, it's for me to tell myself that I don't have to do everything. And I have a tendency to want to take care of everything myself, but there just aren't hours in the day. And that's where choices come in and prioritizing comes in and and you have to be realistic and sometimes ruthless about what you're actually capable of and then and then uh, at the same time build teams and and when you delegate truly delegate and make fe- people feel around you empowered and like they're actually making a meaningful contribution. So I think everywhere I go I have teams, I have teams in California, I have teams in Burgundy, I have team domestic teams, and the only reason I can pull off my really un, unreasonable to-do list is because I have help everywhere. So. so nothing on the other side of the coin there? Uh, what, what, uh, well, you didn't talk about failure. You didn't talk oh, failure. Well, you know, it's I've, okay. We don't have tons of time. So if you've yeah, never failed I I'm before, good. no, I mean, <laughs> good. Okay, well, I, I have I failure. Just, yeah, I'll talk yeah. about, I'm, I'm prepared to talk about failure. failure. Yeah. All right. Okay. I got, I got failure. Okay. So, um, I've gotten much better at establishing professional boundaries, this whole idea of the juggling act of the gig economy and really loving that. So that I'm doing great in that department, but I failed to do this early on in my marriage. And I know this is not about marriage counseling, but I love my husband dearly, but I also love the domestic arts. And those two things, they backfired. That came back to bite me right in the butt. Okay, so now... um, I have a husband that I love, but he acts like a guest when we host a party. And, um, you know, the fact is that I have someone who doesn't want to participate in the, the job of the household outside of his role. And I created that monster. I take responsibility for that. It's my fault. But, you know, I am not, I wasn't willing to not do what I love to do, which is take care of my house, cook food, arrange flowers, and to entertain guests. That's me. But what it did is it really cemented a stereotype that I'm now kind of living, I'm, I'm living that. And it's not always very comfortable, I can tell you. So um, um, I think working from home and having flex time also contributed to that, not setting personal boundaries. Telling my husband, you know, I, I am working, I'm at my desk, four hours, I take a lunch break, I'm at my desk another four hours, whatever. Um, why isn't this done or that done or he's delegating to me all the time and so I really had to draw the line there when it started to impose on my work life, but I still have to pick up all the slack um, on, the, on the home front and I'm working on it, but. Wow, thank you, <laughs> that, was that was great. Really, yeah, really brave and I don't, everybody's wearing sunglasses up here, but. Um, I think that resonated with a lot of people and it was really amazing for you to share. So that's the intention of today. Thank you for doing so. You're welcome. Oh, I'm, I'm not very good at being off. I feel like in the restaurant business, you're always on. And I feel like that as a mom too. I'm just like, good morning, good night. Are you hungry? I'm at work. How are you today? And I'm like, I just, I'm always like in on mode and moving at like a good pace. And so I, the boundary I need is probably for myself 
and to take time to say, hey, you know what, you need this time and you know for yourself every day, which I always try to do. And and like for instance, <laughs> my two I have two sons, and they're for the first time away. They're in Wisconsin at boys camp, and um, on the way here, a counselor called me and said, "Hey, they just went to uh, camping," and I was super excited because I know they're doing things that I couldn't be doing right now because they'd be in camp in the city and what they're doing right now it was friend yeah it's it's it makes gives me so much joy knowing they're happy even though I'm not you know otherwise they'd probably be at work learning our napkin fold which has happened <laughs> many <laughs> occasions because I had to keep them busy I'm like yeah. you gotta and um and and you know but it's fun because they, they get they cook it's all very everything in our life is very kind of like you're coming with me, or this is, if not, we're kind of obsessed about food and wine, so we're doing what we do kind of at home, or we bring work home, but yeah, I think that um, just kind of carving out some kind of balance in your life is trickier, even if your intentions are good. Um, I mean, we love what we do, but you also have to, you know, you're, if you're not healthy and happy and in a good mental state, then the things around you also are going to suffer, especially if you're the boss. So um, I, I always have to remind myself that. That's my biggest one. Yeah. Um, I would say one of the things that, um, that I learned, can you repeat the first part of the question? Okay, so what was the time yeah. when you set boundaries and managed, managed yeah. expectations well, or a time when you failed to do so? So I would say um, something that happened not too long ago was um, me um, getting a, a job offer, and um, you know we went back and forth on salary, and he finally said, "Well, how many hours are you going to work a week?" You know, like how many hours, you know, I mean, this sounds like 60, like basically what you want me to pay, you sounds like you're going to be working 60 hours. And I thought, mm, no, like I don't, <laughs> because I say that to say you paying me what I'm worth doesn't equate to me working more, you know? And um, that, that was because that falls into work-life balance, right? Because you're paying me what I, what I asked for and what I'm worth doesn't mean that I have to work extra hard or work more, you know, you're, you can trust that I'm going to do my job and that I'm going to be efficient. And that really worked for me to set that boundary up front before you take a position um, and, and really make the expectation and manage that expectation was really uh, beneficial for me. Because the last thing you want to go into a position where they feel like they're paying you more than what they wanted to pay you and expect you to work harder because that's what they think is the proper way to go about business. But really, you're worth that anyway, right? So it doesn't mean that I have to work every weekend, you know, or every Saturday for work-life balance purposes. It just means that you'll get, you know, what I what I told you I would yes. give you because I'm a person of my word um, and I will work hard for you. But that goes back into work-life balance of not, you know, just setting the expectation and not working extra hard because they're paying you more than what they really planned on paying you. You're worth that. You know, and you have to balance that and you have to make sure that the expectation for you is not more than what, um, you know, you agreed upon because you have the personal time and you don't want that cutting into all of your personal time because you're no good at work if you're just completely beat down and you haven't had a vacation um, and you haven't had that time to decompress. Okay. 
So when I was doing a lot of research, a lot of what I saw was like, oh, find a job that's really flexible. <laughs> and I was like, mm, <laughs> doesn't really work for what we do. Um, and I think that that was something really particularly challenging for me. I think our industry is really unique. Shelly touched on this aspect of we're in the hospitality business. And so what does that mean about like how we always are saying yes? So one thing that we particularly wanted to address was what are the unique aspects of our specific industry, of the wine industry, and of our unique positions that make this notion of balance particularly challenging? So <clears throat> the work of a winemaker is really very physical. And, um, and I realized when I was thinking about this question of balance that I had, up until the day I was confronted with my a biological reality, I had used a lot, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of um, male energy to get where I did. You know, I was competitive and I, I, was, I was physical and I wanted, to, be, I wanted to, to do it all and I wanted to do it all myself. And, and I took a step back and realized that, you know, when Linda Pisson was talking about the, the complexities of each of us, I mean, I think that it's important to recognize that we all are a mixture of feminine and masculine and to start um, thinking about, you know, the, the light within each of us and recognize that rather than seeing separation and division. And I started really trying to be mindful of that when I was doing my work and, and started drawing more on feminine qualities in winemaking. And I, I found that actually my winemaking improved. I became more intuitive and more listening to what was happening in the vineyards, listening to what was happening around me and, um, and, and realized that I was trying to compete like a man, which was not necessary. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, uh, it was it was actually a gift um, accepting that I had I had both of those energies in me, and I now you know I still do all the physical work. I love shoveling, I love shoveling my compost, I love shoveling out a tank. <laughs> I put on some you know some righteous Beyonce and I shout loud, put some respect on my check. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I'm, st I'm stealing that. That's stolen. Okay. That's, that's in. Okay. So I thought about this question, and I have to say that because I've just trumpeted that I've gotten so much better at establishing personal, uh, professional boundaries, that um, I found one exception, and it's that um, I do accept assignments as a freelance journalist from editors, and I am not in a position to say no thank you to those assignments because when they come in, um, I typically won't say no because there are 10 writers waiting to take that assignment. And um, that is, that's limiting. I have to sometimes tell people, oh, I'd love to do this or I'd love to do that, but I have to reserve the right to send a regret if I get an editorial assignment because I can't say no. That's just a fact. That's just a reality of the, of the choice that I made to, um, to uh, have those kinds of relationships with editors. So I protect those relationships and um, that's one boundary I don't think is gonna change. I mean, for me, I really I really uh, value the um, years of experience that you put in, where I feel like in our line of hospitality, you gain a lot that you can share with others, and it's really important to share your knowledge. I'm, I worked when I was, uh, there's a chef, her name's Joyce Goldstein, hopefully a lot of you know her, but yeah. she's in her 80s, late 80s, and lives in San Francisco, has done a lot of incredible writing and cookbooks. And um, she and I have become friends over the years. And 
she was always asked the same question. And and then I was asked the same question is like, you're a woman and you're in restaurants. What's that like? And we're like, I don't know. I'm a, I realize I'm a woman. And I was a very pregnant sommelier (laughs) to the point where people were like, will you please go home? So I do not want you to have your baby at the restaurant. And like, please. And I just felt fine. I was lucky, but I was really big. And I don't even, I don't know because I just know how to work. And that's the thing I know. But I was, um, but, you know, taking time after, that was that was one of the harder parts. But then I remember in the eras that I grew up, which feels funny to say at all, but um, I was kind of a, a unique woman growing up in the sommelier world where it was mostly men. And um, I was passed over for some jobs and some of it, someone top, uh, I think Megan, um, you, you said this earlier. I went for my... After I, I took four years to do my first level sommelier exam, which is one of the reasons why I really wanted to sponsor education because everyone needs to find their own path. But um, I went for an interview and it was very, it was all men um, and fine. But I interviewed for a position that was open for a sommelier and I didn't get it because they said they didn't think I could carry the caseload. And then I went to Bacar, which Debbie um, was there. And sometimes I'd come in and there'd be like 100 cases, Debbie, right? And then we'd be open for service. And all you do is roll up your sleeves and you're like, let's do this. And then you go into service. But we want to instill that sort of work ethic and morale and um, team effort. And there's a lot of that lacking these days. And I hear that a lot, often. But um, and I, it, it might be a, a problem going to the future that we need to discuss. But... Mentoring is oh, we'll huge. we'll get to the solution. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say what's unique to me about the business is the social aspect of it. Um, you know, there was one month I was like, girl, go home. Like, don't go out anymore for the rest of the month. Because I was always, you know, when you're in sales, you got you know, you're going to your accounts. You know, there's tastings that you want to go to. There's the French tasting, the chambers and chambers tasting. There's Italian tasting. There's, you know, dinners and lunches. And I love that part of our business, but it does wear on you if you don't balance it and say no to some parties and some, bless you, and some events and some tastings. And that, to me, was one thing that I had to learn was either, you know, kind of decide what the month looked like, which ones I really wanted to attend, which ones were really going to be beneficial, which ones were just, you know, I went last year, maybe skip it this year. Um, And then also um, how much time I was going to spend at those events, Um, You know, we kind of had a famous thing in the distribution, which is kind of like an Irish goodbye, which you may pop in, you know, and have a drink and then you leave and no one even knows that you left because if you spend time, you know, so those are those things that I had to learn to do. And you just kind of pop in, have a glass of wine, a tasting or whatever, and then you you leave, you know. So I think the social aspect for what we do is... um, is, is really fun, but it also, if you don't balance that and you don't say no to some things, um, you can kind of get overwhelmed. And next thing you know, you've been out, you know, again, four nights, you're not getting home until, you know, maybe 10 or, or 9 and it's late and, you know, and you're, and you're tired. And that all just kind of goes in a, a circle, you know, just a, a never-ending, um, you know, flow of things. So that, I think our business is really fun, but if we don't learn to balance where we really need to be, what's important, what can we skip, what can we go to next time, um, you may you may find yourself, you know, in a cycle of, of being tired or overwhelmed, you know. Nah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what you're never. talking about. I've never done that. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, on the note of solutions, um, what tools or support systems have enabled you to achieve greater balance? Um, so I, I'm going to go back to really like the, the days after, after I, I found myself a mother. And when I first started going back to work and passing my son off to the German au pair that, who I had hired. And it was a real crisis. I felt guilty. I felt jealous of her. And um, a woman at that time who was older said to me, you know, the more parent-like relationships you can give your child, the better they will be. And somehow, you know, it wasn't overnight, but it planted a seed. And by the time I had my second son, I would fully embrace this idea and pass him to whatever would take him. He'd come back to me like a boomerang. <laughs> but I realized um, that at this stage, there are a lot of people in our lives who are not family and, and many, many women who up to now have not had children or who have chosen to have not to have children. My sister, I wouldn't have made it through it without her. Um, and, and by giving my kids the freedom to build those relationships with other people, I just made everybody happier. And so I have, you know, I can think of a dozen people who filled kind of surrogate grandparent roles, surrogate parent roles, and I feel so much um, relief for that. Build that village. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You guys are all it. Um, yeah, Deborah. And, and speaking of the village, well, I married into a Chinese family, which is a village. I have 250 immediate relatives in the <laughs> Bay Area. My side of the family, there are three people. So I'm the token uh, guai paw in my family. Um, but it came with a support system. So I, and I'm not encouraging anyone to go out and marry into an ethnic family to get a support system. But it did make my professional life possible when my children were small. Because my mother-in-law took care of my children until they went to Montessori preschool. And then she took care of them after preschool so I could work late. And I worked for a high-tech PR firm. I was the co-director of that PR firm when my children were small. Um, and I had to make some choices when my daughter was in second grade that mommy tracked me. And, I, and that's why, how I ended up here, is that I chose uh, to um, prioritize my children. And I, um, I left that job, and I uh, started studying wine at that time. But at any rate, um, uh, I really, when I made the decision to have children, it, I, I wanted to parent them, and that was a priority for me because I didn't never I never felt like I was parented, and I wanted to parent, and I wanted that experience, and that's what I chose. And so basically, I had two kids and a full time job, and I basically just did it. I just sucked it up. I said, "These are my choices, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be superwoman." And I sure was. Um, yeah, I was. I was superwoman. I did it all, um, and I didn't ask for help. And now, now I look back on that and thought, well, I did have some help. I had some of that built-in help, but I didn't ask for help from my husband. And that was my mistake. Um, so I, what I see now is I have friends who are single parents. And what I see them doing is I see them building their own communities together. I have so many friends um, that are single parents. And what they do is they share resources. They share childcare, they trade childcare, they, they share resources. They basically um, build an extended family where there is none. And that's a solution that I see happening in front of me that I think, um, if I were a single mom, I think that's something that I would do. So that's one valuable thing I wanted to put out there. I feel, I, I, so my husband Greg has bars and then we have restaurants and then I um, 
I mean, he's still a cute bartender to me, but, um, but, um, so when we, um, were having kids, it was interesting because his, my experience of, I'm about to be a mother and his experience about to be a father, mine was like a process that I had time to prepare for and think about. And we were writing a 16 cookbook in that time. And I remember being almost having, I was, uh, just in the window where you couldn't travel anymore and needing to get to Italy. So I went there and it, their Italians were like, w pregnant women don't drive around Calabria in the middle of winter, <laughs> like <laughs> looking for grapes and like stories and things. And they all fed me, my stomach grew like an inch a day. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but after our first son was born, I, you know, I went back to work pretty quickly, both after both um, kids. And he had the flexibility to kind of start weaning off of bartending late at night. He was able to hire people, but I um, needed to be at work. So for us, I, I would say that we're like pretty even on parenting, although they still need their mom. You know, like I still like dress them, feed them, like all those sorts of things, because I think that it's partially because I love it and I enjoy it so much. But, uh, like, Greg's not a shopper. And, like, they've been, I mean, actually, he, since our kids have been gone for two weeks, we have yet to have a meal together because we really love our work and we've been really busy. But this next week's, you know, you have to take things as it goes in cycles in our business. And um, you have to become very flexible. And I feel like we're like that with our kids. And, um, you know, they're doing okay so far I mean there's probably things that we could be working on that are better but I feel like we think that in our businesses and life and home life and everything and the minute you think that you got it all figured out is probably there's probably room for improvement always which I've learned a lot about I would say for me um has been family and friends I really moved out to California only to to really be in the wine business, I didn't have any family when I came out here. Um, I didn't have any friends. I didn't even have a job. I just kind of stepped out on faith. Um, and so since then, I've built a good network of friends. Not a lot of friends, but just good quality, solid people. Um, and, and a lot of them are in the business. And so just, it's so different when you're talking to someone who really understands our business and our industry. And you know, you geek out about the oysters or like the champagne or, you know, you like good food and wine people. Um, so I would say that's really been my support. Um, I still get a lot of support from family um, back home. I talk to them and, you know, they they don't understand like what I do, but they under, they know me, you know. And so that's really important. And then just having the industry friends out here has been really awesome. And just people that you can go out with or just sit at home with and, you know, have a bottle of wine or, you know, um, just talk, you know, talk to. That's really been supportive. I, I, like I said, I just want to reiterate, like, it's so important for me to have friends that are in the business and that under and that understand, you know, really what we go through and, and talk about those kind of things. And some of the best restaurants, I like to talk about, you know, where did you eat? Well, have you been here? Have you been there? You know, and that kind of support system has been um, really important. And even looking for a job, like so many women, you know, in the business would say, call this recruiter, this guy's looking. This, you know, men, I didn't get as much, you know, when I said, they would say, oh, you know, but the women, my women friends or colleagues, they would give me so many leads. Um, and so that's been my support system. It's just really good, solid people, um, be it family or friends. Um, one thing that I think, Shelly, you just touched on that was amazing. We talked a lot in our, like, 
pre-here discussions about the idea of cycles. I think Diana originally mentioned it, and it was mind-blowing. You should talk to her about it after, because I'm going to ask the last question, then we're going to wrap. But um, this idea that, like, it kind of leads into the next question, that everything moves in a cycle. And sometimes you might feel out of balance in today, Mm -hmm. but if you look on a bigger picture, on a more macro level, you actually are in balance. It just needs a, a, a wider lens. And so I just wanted to touch on that. Um, kind of on that note, the last question that we have, and we really only have like four minutes, so quick. Um, how then do we explicitly build flexibility or systems into our unique industry that would encourage better balance, not just for you, but for everyone? Yeah. <clears throat> well, so quickly, um, I wanted to talk about my in-laws because um, the Domaine du Jacques has been very paternal, and I think maybe France is generally about um, about taking care of our employees. And you know, my father-in-law, he's co-signed several mortgages of our employees to help them become home- homeowners. All of our employees are homeowners, and I think. You know, business owners in Napa Valley really need to think about how hard it is to actually afford to live here and see if you can't be flexible and creative to help. Amazing. That's so appropriate. Well, I'm going to restrict my comments to say that um, um, I made some very purposeful choices about how to, um, about the systems that I would use to help support um, the two kids and the full-time job and, and all of the things I had to do at that very hectic time. And I purposely reduced my commute times. I chose the closest school that, that I was acceptable <coughs> to my home, about three minutes. Um, and my daughter's dance studio, where she went for 15 years, were also two minutes from the house by car. Uh, as soon as they got old enough to walk, they did, or they used public transit. I taught my children to use public transit um, uh, as soon as I felt comfortable with them using public transit. So I really did uh, try to um, push uh, to to impact where I could, to make choices that would impact where it would be the most meaningful. And commute time certainly was a big one. Strong and concrete. I love it. <laughs> Shelley. Um, I feel like that I'm always reprioritizing every day. So I think whatever I set out to do in the morning might not happen exactly as I plan. But um, because in our business, you have to be flexible. And if you're a mom or whatever, you know, it's like there and nowadays there's things have happen so immediately. There's more things that can be delivered. There's more things, you know, take manage your time better. So it's kind of like Alveda was saying, it's like not really the hours, it's how you work and being flexible and like for me, if you give me a couple hours at a computer, I can do a lot and I'm on my feet most of the time. So I don't like for me, there's certain things that are luxuries that usually aren't considered luxuries, <laughs> like the gym. Like, I don't go to the gym. I, I like I try to. I have things I want to do, but but like you know, you know what I'm talking about that make you feel like you're uh, have, holding a good home and that you're good, good at your job and that you're doing things like you want to do things that are nurturing yourself, but also everything around you um real i mean i don't know if this is per, you know pertains really but just like what she said kind of like a couple of things that i do i order am- everything off amazon prime <laughs> because it comes in two days i don't have to shop i mean those things save me money i order my dog food online to have it delivered sometimes i order the blue apron or the meals to have delivered i have four dogs that's crazy um <laughs> so um so those are just a couple of things that allow me to be a little bit more flexible. I joined ClassPass, which gives me 10 
you know, workouts a day. I mean, all, you know, all over the place in the Bay Area. And those are just a couple of things that I've found resourceful things that, you know, essence save you time and save you money if you um, actually learn how to use those tools. So those are just a couple of things that I do that I that avoids me, you know, that keeps me from going to the store or what have you and just makes it really easy and breezy. Amazing. Oh, okay, so I'm sorry that we don't have time more, for more questions. Um, I feel like we could have like a whole college major on this. <laughs> I know. I see you. I see you. Um, but all of these people are going to be here after. And we have 15 glorious minutes allotted specifically for conversation now before our last panel. So I really encourage you to continue this conversation. And maybe if you need like a little conversation starter, instead of just like, oh, so how are you doing? What's new? You could ask... What, how then do we explicitly build flexibility or systems into our unique industry? And I thought these were all really amazing little takeaway points. So maybe you could share with each other how you do that. And tell Stacy when, when you figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'll take a poll. I'll take all the answers and we'll put them online after. Um, so yeah, uh, we've got about 15 minutes and then our um, next panel at 2.45 is Women in Management and Leadership. Please also try to move Thanks. tables, meet new people. Thanks. Thanks.